As we come here, gather together on Easter Sunday, do you realize what today means? When you look at the central claim of Christianity, the central claim of Christianity is that a man who was confirmed dead, he got up and he walked out of the grave under his own power. I then spent a month hanging out with people and talking to people and eating meals with people and teaching people. He spent a month doing these things, and after a month, in the midst of a hundred people, a hundred witnesses, he ascended up into heaven. This is what Easter is all about. And let me tell you what, Easter is a celebration. Easter is a party. Easter is the day that we celebrate that God did more in raising Jesus from the dead than religion could ever do for us any day. And so if you believe that, would you just do me a favor? Just, let's just give God a big round of applause. This is a celebration. This is a party. Now let me tell you what. And all the parties I've been to, usually parties come to an end for two reasons. Okay? Number one, a party comes to an end because it gets late. And so maybe if you're younger, it gets like 2, 3 in the morning, and you're like, man, i got to go to work at 6 a.m. And so you're like, party's over. And then you get older like me, and you're like, is it 7 o'clock already? Like, i got to go to bed now. Like, some of you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes a party ends because it just gets over and it's too late. But sometimes a party ends because something happens that ends the party prematurely, right? You ever been that party where something happens, you're like, okay, this is done, it's over. In fact, there was a couple years ago, we were invited to some friend's house, and they wanted uh, to have a little bit of, of a celebration. They said, hey, summer is beginning, school year has ended, let's get together and let's celebrate summer. And we're like, that's a great idea, we'll have a barbecue, invite some people over. So we go over to their house, and we get there a little bit early, we're like, hey, can we help you get ready? And they're like, yes, we, you can help us get ready. Here's the buns. Would you get the buns out and get the buns all ready? And so we start unpacking these buns. And as I'm taking these buns out, I'm noticing there's, there's, there's mold growing all over these buns. Now, I'm not talking about like a middle school or peach fuzz growing on the buns, like a little bit. I'm talking about like, like Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty, like this nasty growth that's like this long growing all over these buns. And I'm like, this is gross. We got a problem. I'm like, look at these buns. Like, it's okay, you can just scrape it off. You can just, you can just scrape it off, and then the buns are good. Now, maybe for you, you're like, that's cool. But for me, that party was over right then and right there, right? Because I'm sitting here thinking, like, well, where'd you get the burgers? Like, was that roadkill? Or, like, there's no way for me to continue in this party and not be thinking about what just transpired. And it ruined my ability to celebrate. So even though I was there, man, it wasn't a celebration, right? Listen, I recognize in a room full like this, I recognize that a lot of us have come today to celebrate. But there's some in here today who've come and they say, well, you know, I, I can't quite celebrate. Because they've come in and they've got a little bit of something that I think is, is common throughout all of humanity, a little bit of doubt. Coming with these little bit of doubts about, about God, about religion, about the church, about Christianity. And you've come in and it prevents you from being able to celebrate. Now for some of you, like, like your doubts make it hard for you to even get started. Like it's even hard, it's a miracle you're at church today. Because you know you've got these deep-seated doubts of, man, I can't figure this out. I don't trust it. I don't know it. And so the fact that you are here today is a miracle. And for some of you, the reason why you've never been able to fully surrender to God is because these doubts hold you back. 
These doubts prevent you from fully engaging and surrendering to God. And so you've never been able to cross that line. You've always been on the outside. And so today is not a celebration for you. But there are others of you where you're kind of like me. You're kind of already at the party. You're, you're there. You're already a Christian. But then some things happen in life. Life got a little bit rough. Things got hard. Your health begins to fail. Relationships around you, relationships that you love and cherish begin to, to, to struggle. Things around you begin to break. People die. And pretty soon you feel these doubts rushing in on you, kind of like that mold rushed in on me. God, God, if you're this mighty God, God, if you are resurrected from the grave, if you're all-powerful, then God, how could you let this happen in my life? And so you're here, you're like, hey, I'm a Christian, but I can't quite celebrate because I've got these struggles, I've got these things going on inside of me, and I just, I can't reconcile them. Listen, I want you to know if you've got doubts, you came in today with doubts, listen, I want you to know you're not alone. I mean, if we're going to be honest, if we would be brutally honest, I'm going to guess that most of us in this room have had doubts at one point of our faith, at one point of our life. So I'm excited because today we are looking at a story that Jake already read that will help us understand what do we do with our doubt. How, how, how do we move from, from doubt, which prevents us from celebrating, how do we move from that doubt into the point that we can celebrate? And we can lift our hands and we can clap our hands because Jesus is risen from the grave. We want to look at a story that helps us move from, from doubt to, to celebration. So here's, here's how our story plays out. Jesus had died on the cross and they, they buried him in a tomb. And, and Mary, who's one of, his, one of Jesus' followers, on Easter Sunday, she goes to the tomb. She has plans to anoint Jesus' body for burial. She goes to the tomb and she gets to the tomb and she finds that the stone has been rolled away. And she's a little bit freaked out, like, what's going on? And so she runs back and finds the other disciples and says, disguise, you got to hear this. The stone is rolled away. And so there's two disciples, one by the name of Peter and one by the name of John, and they run. These guys are cross-country runners or faster than I am, I know that. And they run to the tomb. And they get the tomb and they realize, man, that stone's rolled away. And Peter goes inside the tomb and he looks around and he sees two things. He sees an empty bedchamber. And he sees these linens folded on the bed. And he determines that two miracles have happened. He determines there must be two miracles. The first miracle is he who was dead has now risen. He assumes this miracle. Jesus has risen from the grave. And the second miracle, you ladies are going to be really impressed with this. A man took the time to make the bed when he got up in the morning. Right? Two miracles. It's miraculous. That was a good joke right there. So they're like, man, we don't know what's happened. So the disciples go back and they're hanging out that night. And Jesus all of a sudden appears to them. He appears to all of the disciples except for Thomas. Verse 24 said Thomas wasn't with them. In fact, when you look at the Greek, actually what the Greek says is Thomas had gone to Redbox to get a movie for the guys that night. Just kidding, the Greek doesn't say that. But that's my interpretation, is Thomas went to go get a Redbox movie for the guys to watch that night. And while he's gone, Jesus appears to the disciples. And he talks to them and says, look at this, guys. I'm alive. And when Thomas comes back, his disciples are like, man, you should have seen it. We have seen Jesus. He's resurrected. And this is where we see what Thomas says. His response, verse 25, he says, Unless I see his hands 
and the mark of the nails. And unless I put my finger in those marks and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And from that statement, Thomas is going to be forever remembered as doubting Thomas. I mean, think about this. I love how honest and true the Bible is because in this one instance, he gets this nickname for her. How many of you have ever said something or done something completely embarrassing? And then you've got family or friends who will never, ever let you forget it, who will always remind you of it. In fact, a couple years ago, I had this happen. I'm always reminded of this, where I'm always trying to be relevant in my preaching. I'm trying to connect with people. And I heard this new, cool, hip term. And I was like, man, that's great. I bet I would engage with people if I said this. And so I'm up and I'm talking about Jesus and how he's hanging out with his disciples. They're just him and his homeboys chilling. And I'm like, yeah, uh, this is what they were doing. They were doing Netflix and chilling, right? Okay. If you don't know what Netflix and chill means, ask a teenager, all right? Let me tell you, they were not Netflix and chilling, all right? So I said this a couple years ago, and I've got family members who will constantly remind me of the time that I said the dumbest thing. Think about Thomas. He said a dumb statement that is forever remembered, and now his name is always going to be Doubting Thomas. Hmm. But I want to look at Thomas, and and honestly, if we're going to look honest at, at, at Thomas, man, he's not wrong for doubting, right? And when you think about the, the, the reasoning, why would Thomas doubt? Why would he doubt that Jesus has risen from the grave? I mean, what, when you think about the reasons for him doubting, there's two reasons I can think of. Number one, logic. Just logic says, like you don't see people raising from the grave. Unless, unless you're watching the movie or the TV show, The Walking Dead, but that's a whole different story. Like, People don't walk out of the grave. That doesn't happen. Like, I've never been in Starbucks line ordering my drink, look behind me, and there's a friend of mine who passed away years ago. Like, that doesn't happen. There's no frame of reference, no way to comprehend what it means for a man to walk out of the grave. And so for Thomas, he's saying there's no way that's possible. Like, that just doesn't happen. The second reason I think Thomas would have doubted is I think Thomas, at this point of his life, was incredibly disappointed See, Thomas and the rest of the Jews, at this point of time, they were suffering from, from cruel and unjust Roman oppression. The Romans were, were, were just bad people oppressing the Jews. And so Thomas and the other disciples and the other Jews, they were waiting for a Messiah who was going to be a political and military savior. He was going to be a political savior who was going to crush the Romans and free them from that horrendous oppression. And so then Jesus shows up, and Thomas and the other disciples, they have a hard time understanding why Jesus is preaching things like, hey, you should give mercy to the Romans. And they have a hard time comprehending, Jesus, why are you telling us to love our enemies? Our enemies are bad people. Jesus, why are you telling us to turn the other cheek and let, us, let them slap our other side? It just didn't make sense to them. And they thought there's no way, there's no way that our Messiah that our Savior, the person who's going to make everything right, there's no way that he would die a humiliating death on the cross. So the moment that Jesus died, for the disciples, all hope was lost. And they would have been embarrassed. Man, we gave our lives to following this Savior? There's no way that, 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 that I can be excited about this. Thomas is disappointed. It's like, there's no way I can believe. 
unless I see his hands, unless I feel his sides, there's no way that I can believe. Listen, let me ask you this morning. What are your doubts? When you consider Christianity, when you consider faith, when you consider the resurrection, what are your doubts? Maybe for you it's doubting the miraculous. Like you have no reference for the resurrection. Maybe you're like Esqueleto from Nacho Libre. I only believe in science. Maybe you had a teacher who pointed out the, seeming, the seemingly uh, contradictions in the Bible. Maybe you've looked at the archaeology and said, I don't think the archaeology matches what the Bible teaches. Maybe, maybe you've been on the interwebs and maybe you've heard those people who, who question the difficult teachings of Jesus. Like why the Bible talks about him being a loving God, but why would he send people to hell then? And why is God so hung up on sex? And you begin to look at these things and it leaves doubts in your mind. But beyond that, I, I think the real root for our doubts probably comes from the same place that Thomas's doubts came from. Because you are disappointed in life. If we're just going to be honest. Isn't our disappointment what leads to our doubts? When you look around the world, it's a broken place. There's horrendous things happening in this world. Reading about the news, yesterday, another teenager died in Toppenish. How long is this going to go on? We look at all the brokenness around us and we think, how can God be real? How can Jesus be the Savior when I've experienced so much pain and I've experienced so much hurt and disappointment in my life, let alone the world around me? Like, how can God be this great, almighty God when there's all this junk happening? And then we also have this issue where we kind of expect God to be a little bit different, right? Like, we expect God to be the God. I mean, if he's loving, he's going to answer all of my prayers, right? He's going to make my life good and easy. And we find out that that isn't the case, that God doesn't work that way. Those doubts rush in. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God doesn't really exist. Maybe he doesn't have power. And we become like Thomas. We have a hard time believing we have a hard time embracing. We have a hard time moving from doubt to celebration. But what I love is in the middle of Thomas doubting, in the middle of him struggling, of his hardship, Jesus is going to meet him there. It says in verse 26, it says, eight days later, the disciples, they're hanging out inside a house. Thomas is with them. They've got the doors locked. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears among them and says, peace be with you. Now, just to be honest, if you and I are hanging out in a house together and all the doors and the windows are locked and all of a sudden out of nowhere Jesus appears, listen, Jesus isn't going to say peace be with you. He's going to say get the man a mop and a change of clothes because I'm going to have dropped my junk all over the floor if you know what I'm talking about, right? Jesus appears out of nowhere and says peace. And Jesus says to Thomas, he says, Thomas, see my hands. Feel the wounds. Put your fingers in my side. He says, Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. And in that moment, Thomas is confronted with the resurrected Jesus. He's confronted with that truth. And at that moment, Thomas has a rev revelation. He realized, man, Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus is 
God and the flesh. He has this revelation because of the resurrection that Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus is all-powerful. That Jesus did conquer death and Satan and hell and the grave. And that Jesus, his resurrection, his walking out of the grave, proves that he was the Messiah. Proves that he is who he said he was. And Thomas' response, when confronted with the truth, verse 28, Thomas responds, my Lord, my God. And in that moment, confronted with the truth of the resurrection, Thomas moved from doubt to celebration. He moved from doubt to making a profession of faith. And if we're talking about this conversation, how do we move from doubt to faith? What made the difference for Thomas? And here's what I want you to hear today. Here's, here's the one idea I want you to understand. Is that when you look at Christianity, Christianity is not based on an explanation. It's based on an event. And do you understand this? That, that Jesus doesn't come up and he doesn't address Thomas's doubt. He doesn't say, let me tell you why you should believe in me. He doesn't, he doesn't answer all of his questions. He doesn't urge Thomas to believe because Jesus is smarter than everybody else. He can teach everything that they need to know. He doesn't believe because God promises to make him rich and wealthy and happy. What Jesus does is he invites him. Touch my hands. Feel my scars. Put your hands in my side. Feel my wounds. And Thomas moves from doubt to belief because the resurrection is real. See, this is what you need to understand about Christianity. We all have doubts. I don't understand how this works. How does this play out? Christianity is not based on an explanation. It's based on an event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do we understand this? That Christianity didn't begin with a bunch of people who believed something. Christianity began, began with a bunch of people who saw something. They saw a resurrected Jesus. So Christianity isn't just another philosophy. It's not another religion. It's not a psychology. Christianity is an event that changes everything. Let me ask you this. What would happen to your doubts? Those doubts that you carry. Well, what about this? And what about that? And, and why this? What would happen to your doubts if you were confronted with a resurrected Savior? If Jesus stood right before you, what would happen to your doubts? Would you be willing, would you be willing to doubt your doubts if Jesus really rose from the grave? Because for Thomas, when he saw the resurrection was real, when he saw, hey, Jesus did walk out of that grave, that's the moment he can move from unbelief to belief and still have his questions, still not how, know how it works out. But if the resurrection is real, Thomas can say, okay, I believe. I see that. I believe. Because the resurrection changes everything. So what I want to do is, is in the next couple of minutes, I want to say from this passage, three things. Three evidences that God gives us to help us believe in the truth of the resurrection. Again, I don't want to answer all your questions. I'm not sure I can. But what I can do is I can tell you about the truth that Jesus is alive today. And if you can believe that, I think that God can help you move from unbelief to belief. From doubt to celebration. Number one, 
God has given us compelling testimony. He's giving us compelling testimony. Look at verse 29. Jesus says, Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Listen, just because you and I can't see what Jesus saw, just because Jesus isn't here and saying to you, hey, see my hands, come, put your fingers on my side, does not mean that God has not given us compelling evidence of the truth of his resurrection. In fact, one of the most compelling evidences of the truth of the resurrection And this is something that's historically accurate, whether you look at at Christian scholars or non-Christian scholars. One of the most compelling evidences is the fact that these disciples, these 11 disciples of Jesus, they spent the rest of their entire lives going to the ends of the earth, not giving an explanation, but proclaiming something, an event that they saw. They proclaimed that we saw the resurrected Jesus. These guys went to the ends of the earth. Now, you've got to think, if the resurrection is not real, if it's a lie, like, like, could you imagine the disciples getting together and say, huh, what should we do for the rest of our lives? What lie should we propagate? We should say Jesus rose from the grave, right? What would their motive be? Power? These guys were persecuted for the rest of their lives. There was no power. Oh, they would have done it for money, for, for wealth. Actually, all of these guys suffered in poverty for the rest of their life because of their faith. In fact, every one of these disciples are going to be killed for their faith. They're going to be martyred because they proclaimed that they saw the resurrected Jesus. And you have to, you just have to imagine, if the disciples were propagating a lie, don't you think at least one of them would have recounted? Don't you think one of them would have said, you know what, my life isn't worth this lie? If this really didn't happen, there's no way I'm going to give my life and die for this. There's a a famous mathematician named Pascal. And I love this quote. He said, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. Those disciples, you have to consider that evidence. Every one of them gave their lives for this event. Not for a new teaching not for a new explanation. They gave their lives for this event, that they saw the resurrected Jesus. Listen, when you objectively consider the evidence, and not just what you read on the internet, but when you objectively consider the evidence of the lives of the apostles, of the disciples, it points to the truth of the resurrection. In fact, there's, uh, there's a, a couple of books that I would recommend to you. I think we have them available in the lobby today. Uh, that help you wrestle with the evidence, is the resurrection real? There was a guy by the name of Lee Strobel who was a a journalist. He was a a journalist for a newspaper. Another guy by the name of uh, uh, Josh McDowell who was an attorney. And both of these guys set out on their own to look at historical evidence to prove that Christianity was, was wrong, to prove it was a lie. And they look at all the evidence and they look at everything that's out there historically And all the evidence led both of them to believe Christianity is true. The resurrection is a real event. I want to encourage you, if you're in that situation where you're trying to wrestle with, okay, well, what do I do with the resurrection? I encourage you, pick up one of these books and just allow the evidence to speak for itself. Look at it objectively. Not against the rest of Christianity. Look at the resurrection. And allow the evidence to speak for itself. 
So the first thing God has given us, he's giving us compelling testimony. The second thing that God has given us to help us believe in the resurrection is he's given us his presence. Because I love this, because when, when Jesus appears to Thomas, Jesus doesn't say, hey, Thomas, you better get your crap together. He doesn't show up and say, you've got to clean up your life. You've got to fix up your life. I'm not going to show myself to you until you get better and stop doubting. That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't say, Thomas, you're being an idiot. There's no way you can be an apostle because you're doubting me. No, what Jesus does is the moment that Thomas is overwhelmed with fear and doubt and disappointment, Jesus draws nears to him. He comes near to him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus wasn't afraid of Thomas's doubt. He wasn't afraid of the questioning. He wasn't afraid of, of struggling. In fact, we have this idea that, man, if I have doubt, if I have struggle, well, that's the opposite of faith. And I can't be a part of, of the church. I can't be a part of Christianity unless I have it all figured out. But do you realize that doubt is not the opposite of faith? Typically, those things, oftentimes, they go hand in hand. Doubt and faith. And what I found is God is a relational God, not a transactional God. See, we like this idea that God's going to be a transactional God. Like, I'll just pray to him. And in that moment, God's going to take away my pain. He's going to take away my junk. He's going to make me happy. He's going to make everything good in my life. Listen, that's not what God does. What God does is he meets us in the middle of our difficulty. He meets us in the middle of our hardship. He meets us in the middle of our doubt. He meets, meets us amidst our fear and our guilt. And he walks alongside us, reminding us, you are never alone. Reminding us, I'm with you. Reminding us, you'll make it through this. In fact, a couple years ago, I went through probably one of the hardest seasons of my life. I had a close friend, and uh, I, I don't know what else to call it other than a breakup. We broke up. And it was probably the, one of the most difficult times of my life. And I'll be honest, going through this, in the middle of it, man, I struggled through doubt. I struggled with this doubt of saying, God, God, what are you doing? Like, God, I, I've, I've given my life to you. God, I am serving you with my life. This is what I've chosen to do with my life, God. God, here I am. God, how could you allow this to happen? God, I don't understand this. Why am I having to go through this? God, if you love me, then why are you making me suffer just like this? Like Thomas. Jesus didn't give me an answer. Do you know what he did? I stood right over by this baptismal. He overwhelmed me with his presence. He overwhelmed me saying, Kevin, I'm with you. I don't care if you're struggling through this. I got you. You're not alone. I'm going to carry you through this. And it was in that moment that his presence overwhelmed me. I was like, all right, God, I'm good. My questions aren't answered. I don't understand what's going on. But God, you're with me and that's enough. Listen, if you are struggling, if you are struggling with doubts and you don't have everything all figured out, listen, I want you to know you're not alone. There's no shame in having doubt. There's no shame in struggling and trying to figure it all out. 
You may not understand the why things are playing out on this side of eternity, but I can promise you that if you are honest with your doubts, if you're honest with your struggles, that God will lean in and God will meet you there. And that your faith will have much more depth and much more meaning. Because that's when God gives you his, his, his presence and it is undeniable. It is overwhelming. It's one of the things that God gives us to move from doubt to celebration. And let me just suggest, if you're someone with doubts, maybe the church is a good place for you to come with your questions and your struggles. Because as a church, that's one of the things that we try and, and do on a weekly basis. We try and ask the hard questions. In fact, the last couple of weeks, we studied the book of Esther. We tried to wrestle with, okay, how does God's sovereignty, God's in control, and how does human responsibility, how do these two things play together? We wrestle with the hard questions. The next couple of weeks, we're starting a new sermon series called Cliché, and we're looking at some of these cliché Christian sayings that people give us. And try to figure out, did God really say that? What does God really mean? Questions like, we're all God's children. Well, aren't we? Questions like, God helps those who help themselves. Like good Christian cliches that we're going to wrestle with and try and understand, what does God, does God really mean those things? Did God say those things? A great series. And listen, if you've got questions and struggling with doubt, man, perhaps the church is a great place for you to, to ask those questions and to learn. That's what we're doing here. So to move us to, uh, to belief in the resurrection, God has given us compelling testimony. He's giving us his presence. And the third thing that God has given us is he's given us his wounds. He's giving us his wounds. See, Jesus appears to Thomas in the middle of his doubt, in the middle of his struggle, in the middle of his fear. He shows up in the middle of all of that. And what Jesus does is he points to the truth. And the truth are his hands. The truth is his feet. The truth is his wounds. The truth is the empty grave. He says this is the truth. Because his wounds, his wounds remind us of the loyalty and the love that he has for us. His wounds are a reminder that even if our friends and family leave us, if they abandon us, if we're left heartbroken, Jesus never will. His wounds are a reminder to us that even if our hopes and our dreams, even if they crumble, listen, Jesus is our rock. He will never fail us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Even when we can't understand how things, what's happening in our world, what God is doing in our life, his wounds are a reminder. You can trust him. Look what he's done for you. Because when, when Jesus shows Thomas his wounds, look at Thomas' response. He doesn't say, the Lord, the Savior. Verse 28, he says, my Lord and my Savior. He recognizes that Jesus' wounds, his hands, his feet, that happened because of Thomas. Jesus did that because he loved Thomas, and that changed everything. In fact, think back to my childhood. Dad died when I was young, and, and mom was left to raise five kids on her own. A job I wouldn't envy for anybody. And mom did what she did for our family. She found the best job she could get. She was a custodian. 
She spent long hours on the day vacuuming and on her feet, cleaning toilets, and a job that wasn't very fulfilling or rewarding to her. And I remember somewhere along the way she got hurt. And I'd see her at the end of the day, she'd have this limp in her foot. And I remember being in middle school, I'm not very proud of this, but I remember she'd show up to my baseball games or my school functions and she'd have this limp and, and there's a little of embarrassment on me. And I'm like, mom, what are you limping for? She said, son, at some point I got a, I got a bone spur in my heel. There's this bone floating around. As I spend long days Walking around, that bone digs in to my feet. And there's this excruciating pain. She was providing for us kids. She couldn't afford to go and have surgery. That explanation changed everything for me. Changed my perspective. Because that limp was a visible reminder. Mom was giving everything for us. Mom was giving everything she had for me. She would personally suffer for me and my siblings. From that point forward, there was never a question in my mind, never a doubt in my heart that she loved me. She showed me. She proved it to me. That limp gave me the assurance I could trust her. She's giving everything for me. Listen, think about Jesus' hands and his feet. They're right in front of you. They're there to show you, I did this for you. I did this for you. I loved you so much that I gave everything for you on the cross, that I gave my life for you. His wounds are there as an, to give you assurance that you can trust him. You can believe him because he's given you everything to show you. Let me tell you what, Christianity, I'm not up here today to answer all your questions. I want to be up here today to tell you that Christianity is about an event, not an explanation. I recognize that Thomas is not the only doubter. That there are many of you who come in here today, you've got questions, and you still have those questions, you still have those doubts. Let me ask you this morning, in light of the compelling testimony of the apostles, in light of God's patience, the fact that he meets you where you are, in light of his wounds, what he has done for you, would you in humility accept the truth of the resurrected Savior, that Jesus rose from the grave? I want to invite you today I want to invite you today to move from doubt to celebration. To follow him. To trust him. And today to celebrate and praise him. Listen, we got the rest of eternity for God to answer all of our questions. We got a long time for him to explain it all out. Today, I want to invite you to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And move today from unbelief to belief, from doubt to to celebration. You do me a favor this morning and just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. According to Jesus, every one of us are separated from God. 
It is the root of all of our problems. But God, because he loved us, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and to rise from the grave to save us, to make us new. The good news is this. In John chapter 1, the good news says that all who receive him, who believed in his name, that he has given them the right to become the children of God. Romans 10 says if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus has rose from the grave, that we will be saved. Listen, today, for some of you, today is a defining moment. Will you move from doubt to celebration? I invite you to pray this prayer with me and say, God, I came here today with struggles. I came here with doubts. But God, today I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. God, today I receive your offer of love and salvation. God, that today that I would be made right with you, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done in my place on that cross. God, today I want to experience your grace right now. I want to be made right with you, God. God, I ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.